Welcome inside the lab at Formula 4 Media, and I am Bob McGee, and today I am here uh, speaking to you from Reebok's global headquarters in Boston at the Dry Dock with Matt O'Toole, the president of Reebok. Uh, Matt's long history in the sporting industry uh, before coming to Reebok in November of 2007 began with a decade at Wilson Sporting Goods, where he worked in the golf division for five years, and he followed that up with a career at the hockey company, which later became Reebok CCM Hockey, uh, where Matt was president and CEO. Uh, good afternoon, Matt. Before we get started, you know, I had a chance to facilities here with uh, Dan Saro. Uh, maybe you could fill our listeners in a little bit about on why Reebok, when Reebok relocated to this new global headquarters in Boston, how big is the location, how many employees, and you know, how it's different than Reebok was before in Canton, Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, Bob. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, we were, as you mentioned, in a suburban location in Canton, Massachusetts, which is kind of the south of uh, south suburban Boston for many, many years. And last year, we decided that uh, it was time to move the business uh, into the city and really take advantage of what Boston has to offer. And it was interesting. We really grew up in Boston, but in the Boston suburbs, and we never have had a, a big presence in the city. And so we've seen this as an opportunity to really take advantage of you know what's really what's happening in Boston, which is everything from you know the well-established academic community, but what's going on in technology. We even picked this building because it houses one of the biggest star, um, startup incubators in the country. There's 128 startups here, and and I think when we decided to leave Canton, that was one of the things that we had said over and over. We get this big brand name, but we need to really create the soul of a startup. And how do we do that? And what does it look like? And we wanted to go where the startups are and where we can kind of cross-pollinate with a lot of different ideas, industries, um, and and get, I guess, kind of more of an open campus environment where we really, we were in this gated, closed campus, which was maybe the fashion of the day, but uh, I think now we're living among so many other businesses that are doing so many incredible things, and it's uh, already inspired us in a lot of new ways. So the culture here, you'd say, is very different than Kent or Stoughton past uh, homes or Reebok. I think, I mean, the biggest thing is that, you know, we had this uh, campus, which was absolutely great, but there were separate buildings, and you sat in a cubicle, and we have experiences now here, since we're in an open environment, where there's employees who have been both working at Reebok for 15 years who barely recognized one another, and now in this environment, they see each other every day, there's new relationships being built, there's definitely a bigger sense of community that's been created. I think the other thing, you know, from a culture point of view, is when you, like, physically are with everyone, and you can see them, you end up you know, going going over and saying, hey, Bob, I've got this question. Can you answer it? Maybe in the past I would have sent you an email. Maybe you followed it up and said, hey, do you want to have a meeting? And you'd say, tell me you were available in three days, and then we'd have the meeting. And so what's happening now is just work is the kind of pace of play has increased so much. And I think that's definitely something that the company needed. Now, I also, Reebok joins Nike-owned Converse, Asics recently, and New Balance with a major presence here in Beantown. Does this fuel the competitive juices in the, in the Beantown and create serious competition for talent? And, you know, how do you see this whole thing playing out, I guess? I know it's early in the game, but... No, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, there's some important uh, footwear and apparel brands here in Boston, and we believe that uh, by coming to the city, we can attract uh, a more a bigger talent pool for the company, and certainly will end up uh, maybe uh, crossing swords with some of those folks you met in terms of uh, 
talent retention and acquisition, but I think it's a it's an important step for us to broaden the aperture in terms of our the talent that's available to us. So now let's let's turn our conversation to where Reebok is today. Uh, you know, last week your parent company Adidas Group um, reported that your company's revenues were up four percent worldwide in 2018, although down 15 percent here in North America in your home market. Uh, maybe first you could tell us about you know what's going right for the brand around the world and. Secondly, how Reebok's making strides in North America, which I understand the strides being made with outlet closures and cleaning up of lower margin businesses as you, you know, move to a new company, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that the, the first and probably most important thing is that we kind of had a very intentional long-term plan for the Reebok brand that uh, involved taking it back to its uh, fitness and running roots and bringing together kind of our amazing heritage with those types of products, but also um, kind of forging uh, new frontiers in that area as well. And for the first few years of it, it definitely was more attractive for us to grow that strategy outside the U.S. where we didn't have such a broad historic sports uh, portfolio, where um, in a lot of cases it was Greenfield for Reebok or Reebok really was still known for its amazing heritage around fitness and women's fitness, particularly the first company to have a dedicated products for women's fitness like the freestyle. And so we were able to grow. We grew double digits over the last three years outside the U.S. And then also very intentionally, we've been spending the last few years, and you mentioned uh, the sales in the U.S., exiting a lot of undesirable or unprofitable pieces of business in the U.S. so that we can get set to grow. And so we closed a number of our outlet stores that we didn't think were helping us. We exited a bunch of what I would call promotional business, uh, lower price point uh, products in the market. That's all behind us now. In 2018, we'll grow. We're launching another strong lineup of new products for the back half of 18. And then we're also, for the first time, really investing in a stronger um, women's first asset portfolio. A few months back, we signed Ariana Grande, uh, Victoria Beckham. We just recently announced uh, Gal Gadot. But th- the push for us is to kind of reclaim our heritage as a, a strong fitness brand and uh, kind of over-index with the female consumer. Tell me about Reebok's stance on men's business versus women's business today. Well, I think one of the things that we see as a big advantage for us is that you know we've always over-indexed in terms of an o- overall business and share of women's. And uh, today we're over 40% of our business is with the female consumer. That kind of contrasts the overall industry, which is closer to 25% of the big sports brands that uh, have women's sales. I think you know we see a real opportunity where the women's consumer has still been underserved. Even though there's a lot of people talking about the women's business, most people, most brands in our business are moonlighting in that area, and we're making it our primary focus to really think about her first every time we design a, a new shoe or apparel range to think about how it applies first to our female consumer. And I think that will kind of put an exclamation point on that this fall with a women's campaign that's really focused on the idea of inviting her to move and to really kind of embrace what the Reebok brand's always been about, which is, you know, empowering women to work out, to sweat, to have muscles, and, you know, ultimately impacting the rest of her life because she feels good. It's a little bit of history now. Nearly six years ago, I read that you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with your then 16-year-old son, Garrett, who you said was his birthday today. Yeah. Maybe you could tell us I wish was a little bit about that experience and what you feel has been your biggest Mount Kilimanjaro from a business perspective during your 10 years here at Reebok. Well, so we had an amazing experience at the time. As you mentioned, Garrett was 16 and today is his uh, 22nd birthday. So it feels like a while ago. But Garrett had heard the story of a friend of ours who had climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and he had asked uh, for his 16th birthday present if we could climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And I actually, he, he first mentioned it when he was 15. I thought he would forget. <laughs> and... Uh, 
month after month, he would remind me that we were doing it. And, uh, you know, so we, we made plans. And, you know, it's interesting, a, a trip like that reminds you, you know, that there are these kind of like sunny days where there's not much of elevation ascent and you really kind of get to enjoy yourself uh, and maybe a little more relaxing. And then there's days, you know, where it's below zero and it's snowing and uh, you get partially up and then you find yourself sliding 200 meters back down. <laughs> right, and, right. Uh, and I think that's, a, to your point, it's a good um, analogy to kind of how um, this transformation of Reebok has been. There's been some things that have gone, you know, very, very smoothly. I think, you know, some of our key relationships with fitness partners have been very successful for reestablishing our brand in the fitness space. While if we talk about the U.S. market, it's been a, a longer journey to really really win the, the U.S. consumer back to what Reebok was initially uh, known for because we've had so many different iterations of the brand in the U.S. market. And uh, so that's sometimes where you feel like you've made it up, uh, you know, to a certain place and then you all of a sudden lose some elevation. But, uh, you know, I, I think that um, what's similar also is that you, you gain a certain level of resilience. Like, I think that what make, has made Reebok great in the past has been that it was always ready to kind of come with what's new and what's next even if the last thing didn't work. And I think that that spirit is, you know, what we want to capture here is that not everything we do will be perfect, but we'll keep getting better and ultimately we'll get to the top of the mountain. Touched on my next question, which is basically that big hurdle about the, uh, you know, my, my years in the industry that sometimes Reebok didn't really know what it wants to be in the, in the market. And I wonder if you could talk about, you know, is that critic- people have criticized Reebok for that. Is that fair? But two things I want you to talk about, the segmentation of the product, apparel and footwear, is there going to be a segmentation strategy? For example, um, I mentioned to Dan that I guess Dick's talked about Reebok Apparel in their stores being like one of the biggest apparel brands, but I thought that's a licensing. That's not something you're yeah. doing. So yeah. if you address that, are you going to have a separate line for like the running stores? And I guess the segmentation strategy and your biggest principal objectives for the rest of 18 and 19. So a lot there. I think, I mean, in terms of like the Reebok's history, it, it's, a, it's a really amazing story of a lot of innovative and exciting products. But as you mentioned, we didn't always connect the dots, you know, and it wasn't it wasn't always clear why we went from one place to the next you know there was our original fitness era and even before that running as the primary focus and then broader into sports and then there was a music period now all of those had moments of greatness but I think what we're really focused on is making sure that you know we consistently bring all the touch points with the consumer together so it's understandable and and that's why we went back to kind of our core fitness uh, heritage and said, hey, this is a place where we can continue to show up in a consistent way with new and exciting products for the consumer. And uh, it's a place that we belong. It's authentic with our, our, our DNA as a brand. And, uh, you know, one of the challenges always is there's other opportunities. There's always other opportunities, you know, and uh, the for us, we have to get really good at what we've decided to focus on before right. we consider other opportunities. And that takes a little bit of discipline. So you're not going to be developing a basketball shoe for the next season or next year or signing the next great basketball NBA signing. You're not going to do that. You're not going there. Okay. Not right now, that's okay. for sure. Our focus is definitely on uh, our fitness ambition. I think to your point about you know segmentation and uh, our apparel business specifically, it's a very similar story to what we talked about about the rest of the world in the U.S. You know, Reebok historically has never had a, a really 
really robust apparel business. And one of the things to really be great in fitness that we had to do was to rebuild and reinvent our apparel business. And big part of our growth, um, even out indexing footwear in the rest of the world, has been apparel. And now we need to take that energy um, back into the U.S. market. And we've done a number of things. We have a direct mail catalog called Rally that we send to our female consumer where our digital sales of apparel have been doing quite well. And then, as you mentioned, we have a partnership with Dix. It's a combination of licensed products that they do as well as our own inline products. And that certainly is you know, the premier platform for sports apparel in our country right now. Well, also, let me ask you about, I know that recently, uh, you know, not recently, I guess it's been a few years here, I read the clip here, but you re-entered running. You know, your current stance on fitness and lifestyle with celebrities and, and also now getting into running, how does that all fit together? Well, I mean, our fitness consumer runs. I mean, they, if, and I think one of the interesting things about, you know, this fit and active consumer today is they do a lot of different activities. And that's why you see us with products for CrossFit or products for yoga, products for combat training, which is training like a fighter in the gym, and then products for running. And, and you know, she's not deciding that she's just going to be kind of linear one thing and uh, and therefore you know running has been you know all the way back to our founding in uh, the UK has been the core business of the company still the running silhouettes our number one silhouette in terms of footwear today but what we hadn't done is really dedicate ourselves to you know authentic running shoes for runners and we started in earnest about three years ago to build a range of products that would be around for a long time they would be you know evolving and updating but we wouldn't be you know changing dramatically the overall structure of the line and that's so you're seeing some of those products like our float float ride run which has won a lot of awards it was uh, best debut uh, in runner's world and a few other uh, accolades so that's really going to run specialty versus yeah. the dicks is that right or well i think that both? i think these kind of like these distinctions are a little bit uh gray today okay, you know that okay, um, okay. that are, you know the i think for us it's always about where is the consumer showing up where is she going to look for and, and and she's she's moving across all kinds of different retailers today and, and we want to make sure that um, you know we, we're there with the right solution where she shops one question I had here was just wanted to know if you could address uh, Reebok's customer, typical customer today versus the one in the 80s and 90s, how has that customer changed? Maybe it's the fitness customer is probably in the 50s, 60s, she's 50s, 60s now. How is it, how you change, yeah. how has the customer changed? I mean, I think the, the biggest change is that, um, you know, what happened in the 80s was really on the heels of Title IX in the U.S. Right. When the kind of aperture around sport and movement for women really opened up and that, you know, Reebok was the first brand to really speak to her and embrace the idea of her working out and and I think you know younger women were getting that experience through their school but women who missed that were really experiencing it for the first time through fitness and things like uh, you know class uh, exercise and aerobics etc so it was it was new then I think what you have today is um, the same desire from the consumer to be um, inspired and to feel empowered through fitness but she her view of the world is so much different in terms of uh, you know that this isn't a novelty this is she's actually better at than most guys and that and that she's proving it in so many different ways and uh, I think our job though is the same is to, to to validate that with her and to make sure that the consumer knows like there's someone uh, in a brand that's in her corner and I think what you have today is a lot of brands, you know, kind of moonlighting in the women's space. And but their real message is kind of still, you know, 
this blood, sweat, and tears, win at all costs message when we're saying, hey, that's not the game. We know that's not the game you're playing. The game you're playing is the long game of life, and we're here to encourage and empower you. And, and does every woman uh, in the world know that right now? No, we've got to get that story out, and that's the kind of journey that we're on. Finally today, Matt, I just wanted to end it with, a, I guess, a negative and a positive question. Sure. If you could talk about what you felt the biggest misconception from the trade and from consumers uh, is about the Reebok brand today. You know, what's the biggest po- What's the biggest negative, and what's the biggest positive from both trade and consumers? Well, I think with the consumer, we still have work to do to bring them up to speed on the focus of the brand. And there's a, so there's a lot of consumers that still see Reebok as kind of a broad sports generalist and have a, more of a tangential relationship with the brand. We've got to really bring home our message. And I think with with the trade, it's a, it's a little bit different story where what what they what we continuously hear is like they have an opportunity for a brand like Reebok to reintroduce it to the consumer as well there's as you know a lot of movement uh, among the brands and a lot of challenges for the brick and mortar world so the door is open for us I think what we've got to do is show that we've got some relevant concepts for their consumer and the early you know the early signs between classic models that we have that are becoming more and more relevant and some of the new products is uh, we're off to a good start well thank you for your insights yeah. Today, Matt, uh, you've been listening to Inside the Lab at Formula 4 Media. This is Bob McGee.